becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger, stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing those of the songs. All right, we're off. We're off to the shores. Cheers. Cheers. Definitely. I feel like we got a a lot of different things banging around in the collective consciousness. I know. Between you and I tonight. I think so. You know, even more so, I think usually we have like themes that were kind of like, they kind of... We, we chased down or gotten better about chasing them down during the podcast. Uh-huh. And like right now it's like, I think we're, we got all these, all sorts of different things kind of going on. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Oh geez. Well, maybe it's, maybe I'll just jump right in the middle of it. Okay. Do that. Sure. Kind of go from there. Um, I guess something like just our our perspective on how we engage the world is 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 such a it's such an important um, uh, an important aspect of our uh, just our being like biologically psychologically um, spiritually like how we see the world is just so so very important uh, how we um, position ourselves you know to engage the world yeah and it seems like a lot of things that we we're talking about earlier before the the pre-podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of had to aka do with, dinner <laughs> exactly aka just matt and i getting together <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems like it's so much of it has to do with that you know we've talked about you my girl chris a lot of, a lot about what you give attention to and how that affects mm-hmm. you and yeah um and one of the things that we were talking about earlier was just like how much having kids helps and it's so useful and in, in shaping your perspective and how you move forward in the world because you have a tangible element that is a part of you that will and should live longer than you. It extends. It's a part of you that extends past your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just being able to experience that because kids they also kind of reveal your uh, your your dark spots and your uh, your blind spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that they mean to, but they're just so innocent <laughs> in how they engage the world, <laughs> you know, beautifully and frustratingly. <laughs> so yeah. that it's like you kind of you kind of almost watch yourself engage these people, these little people that have not been around as long as you and. And you're trying to teach them and grow them into something. Well, that's interesting. I think there's a lot of reasons why kids tend to reveal your blind spots, but at least one of them is that kids pay attention Hmm. like to everything, (laughs) you know, they Uh, notice everything. Like I remember when I was a kid, like I would wake up in the morning and before I got out of bed, before I was like fully awake, I could hear the sounds of my parents in the kitchen Hmm. And I knew exactly what they were doing based upon the sounds mm-hmm. like, oh, they're making the coffee. Oh, mom's cooking breakfast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I could hear the sound, the sound of, uh, you know, certain plates clanking and have an idea of what, what was going to be for breakfast. And then <laughs> that bacon starts <clears throat> to waft into the room. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, I mean, this is a very sound focused 
attention that I'm describing here, but mm-hmm. like, or being in the grocery store, if I ever got separated from my dad, mm-hmm. I knew the sounds he made well enough that I could be like, oh, he's two aisles over that way. You know, <laughs> it's like a, a sneeze or a whatever. Uh-huh. Um, but kids pay attention in a way that you kind of stop doing when you get older. You become so focused on what you're doing that you're not noticing the rest of the things around you. And, hmm. um, you know, that that's a fascinating connection with the idea of attention. And what is it that you're, you're giving your attention to? And are you taking that for granted as an adult mm-hmm. and not noticing all of these other things that are, that are occurring or, you know, consequences to, to the pursuit of the goals that you have set. Yeah. <clears throat> and your perspective tends to get very narrowed. Yeah. For that reason. Yeah. Especially when you do have like, you know, a family union, it's like, it's not just about you and what is good for you. It's like, how does this affect these other people that are around you? Cause you're mm-hmm. directly, <laughs> they're, they're directly impacted by those right, decisions, right. you know? And so it does broaden your, I mean, you can say like friend groups and, and, and brought it, but there's, it's really just something different because you've been responsible for the life and death of this child. <laughs> right. You know, it's right. like, you can't just be like, man, you guys are jerks. I'm going to go, I'm going to go away for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, that's your baby will die. <laughs> yeah. If you're not there to feed it, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, it's something that you can't, I just don't think you can experience without having kids and having a family. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's, um, it's just so valuable. I mean, just throughout history, um, having family is just, uh, it provides safety. It provides, you know, um, uh, it also provides orientation in the world. You know, it's like your parents teach you how to orient yourself. Like how, how do we, we've set up these certain rituals and dogmas that give sort of structure to, that we don't have to necessarily question as kids, you know, mm-hmm. in order to engage in things that are hard and, you know, <clears throat> what was that? <laughs> well, I think when we're kids, we do question them. We argue with our parents about like, mm-hmm. you know, I want, I want to stay out later or I want to go to this friend's house or mm-hmm. I want to see this movie or I don't want to eat that food. And your parents hopefully argue back with you and say, no, sorry, you know, you're not allowed to see that movie. And, mm-hmm you need to be home by 10 and this is what we're eating and no, you can't have something else. And <laughs> you know, like to enforce that structure. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of shut <clears throat> up about it and you, know, it's like you, you reach a certain age at a, as a kid where you're like, you do a cost benefit analysis to arguing uh-huh. and you're like, ah, it's not worth it. Just eat the damn food. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, once you've absorbed that and you accept that rule, then you kind of see what the rule was there for. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, now we're not arguing about food. We're all sitting around the table having a pleasant conversation about something else. And you know what? This food isn't actually that bad. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like mom cooked this. Thank you for spending all that time doing this. It's like it, it, it changes your attention mm-hmm. to someone else. <clears throat> Yeah, your awareness definitely grows. Uh, I, I was talking to a guy this this week. Uh, he's got four kids, and he's in the ten month to eight year old uh, time frame. That's brutal. And so, like, he was talking about the vacation they just went on, and how <laughs> like how how hard it is. You know, it's, it's still vacation. It's nice, and obviously, yeah. you love your kids, but it is so much work. And it was just fun to tell him. I was like, dude, it gets so much better. Like, my youngest is eight, and my oldest is sixteen. And it's like when we go vacation now, it's like they're self-sufficient people, you know? And it's like, 
and it's just so much more fun. It's like, I'm sure your parents, like how they experience y'all now, it's like, you know, they don't have any responsibility for you at all. Yeah. They actually get to vacation. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, and to get, to, and hopefully vacation with people they enjoy being around. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of the goal, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Raise your kids well enough that you can enjoy being around them. What was it that Peter said says? Don't make, don't let your kids, don't make your kids hate you or. <laughs> oh, uh, don't, don't let your kids do anything that would make you dislike them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's such a harsh statement, but uh-huh. it's really just so. When he makes subsequently the point that the relationship that you have with your children is potentially the best and deepest relationship you will ever have in your life. Yeah. And that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. You know, who else knows you like your children? You know, who else has paid attention as to you as an adult that much to know everything, every little quirk, every little sound, every little, not yeah. even your wife pays uh-huh. that much attention to you, you know, uh-huh. and, and, and in a completely neutral, non-judgmental way yeah. and reveals to you where you can be better. Also reveals to you, you know, your, your strengths. And you know, that person from the day they emerge, Yeah, you know, that, that has a potential to be one of the greatest relationships you can ever have. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're talking about parents who have signed up for the uh, for the journey of this, you know, it's like, you know, obviously there's some that have bailed on their kids and, mm-hmm. and it's just really unfortunate. And, and then there are scars left in that, you know, but even, yeah. and I mean, most families are not superbly functional, <laughs> but I think that's the beauty of it too. It's like, mm-hmm. you're all working these things out together and you get things wrong. Like, and it's one of those things like, you know, the whole, the cliche of, yeah, uh, you know, when you're in your twenties and you're like, Oh man, I was kind of a shithead. <laughs> and you apologize. Everybody goes back and apologizes right, to their parents. Right. Right? <laughs> it's like you get perspective. Then you have kids, you're like, Oh my gosh, you guys went through this. Oh, you didn't have a playbook. Right. <laughs> to, like you're you were making this shit up too, just right. like I'm making this shit up with my kids. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like it's just interesting how time uh time and, and these stages of life that kind of bring perspective, you know, it's like, if, uh, I just see it, I, I just believe it'd be very hard to do that outside of, outside of family, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> I don't know how that works. Is it because you see the life cycle, the life cycle of birth? Um, I mean, even seeing your parents go from what you thought were adults, but like really most of the time they're young adults. They're like children, mm-hmm. you know, growing into adults yeah, and then growing into, you know, into old age and then mm-hmm. through death. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a life cycle that you see through family in an intimate way that you wouldn't see necessarily just in community. Yeah. Yeah. It's more tangential, like a friend dying or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, but someone you technically been a part of your life your whole life (laughs) right it's different yeah yeah i don't know i think there's a i think there's a lot of things in this that uh especially like you know and again i'm I'm kind of just speaking very broadly and generally it's like you go through this time frame in life when you you know uh generally speaking maybe go to college or you graduate high school and and you're going off into the real world you know and and then people start to kind of get married, you know, there's a stage where everyone's getting married, you know, and then everyone's having kids, you know, and then 
kids are graduating, but then also this seems like this part of life that comes in into your forties and fifties. It's like where you start to lose parents, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, <laughs> so there's, uh, Allison's mom's birthday was this weekend. So, uh, she brought her three brothers or, uh, three of her four brothers in town. And it was just so great to see, mm-hmm. uh, one That's of the, cool. one of the brothers, they were all like, uh, uh, catching up on all the, you know, all their friends from high school and stuff like that. And Frank was the, was the one who kind of had kept track of all these people cause he still lives in their hometown. And so like <laughs> Renee was like, Hey, how's, how's old Charlie doing or whatever. And Frank go, Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> oh, he did. And it was just funny. Like throughout the night, like most of the people they were bringing up, like it was, it was individual. Really? But he always seemed to say it a different way, which was just like <laughs> so comical, but like, oh yeah, he did. Oh, <laughs> Jimmy? Oh yeah, he doesn't know five from seven. <laughs> I mean, it was just... Where are they from? Uh, Marshall, Texas. Huh. I mean, it's it's deep East Texas, but it's fascinating because like, uh, I hope they don't want me talking about it on the podcast, but like, you know, the brothers are, couldn't be any more different. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Frank's a cowboy, you know, just sweet, just, uh, he's a sweet, sweet guy. And then Renee's like, I think he worked in oil for a long time and kind of more cosmopolitan and, mm. and Andre's kind of more, um, uh, he's a, he was, a, he worked in the arts and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, schools and like he was part of art programs or something like that. And then, uh, the Joel, I don't know. I didn't know Joel very well, but, uh, he, he couldn't make it. Uh, but it was just really fascinating to see them, how they interacted. You know, it's like these were little boys together. Right. You know, and, and like, now they have a, they have lives behind them mm-hmm. and separate lives. However, mm-hmm. there's these things that bind them that, right. you know, it's like their mother passed away about 12 years ago. Uh, and it was also sweet because like there was something like Leah, she just lost it when it was a surprise and she just lost it when she saw them. And, oh, and awesome. she was explaining later. She's like, yeah, I was walking the thing. And then and then I saw my brothers. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, but it was the way she said it. That was just like. I saw my brothers, hmm. you know, it was just, it was this it was this really intense sort of like connection, yeah. you know, that there's nobody else in this world that I can call my brother. Yeah. And I don't know, it was really sweet. So that's really cool. Yeah. But Frank cracked my ass up. He's just like, <laughs> Oh, he did. <laughs> Jimmy, Joe, Joe, no. Barbara. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he dead, dead, <laughs> dead, dead, dead. <laughs> but it is, it's like, there's that stage of life where it's like, you're more like, talking about who's still alive, you know, mm-hmm. and how they're doing and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I don't know. It's kind of fascinating. Hmm. <laughs> what do you think? So, I don't know. <laughs> First lull we've had in like 20 episodes. I know. Well, I think it's just, <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's just hard to explain because I feel like there's something that when I'm talking in this way, I always want to, um, to preface like all the ways that these things go wrong. You know, it's like, you know, family or relationships and you know how, because the dad left, the mom left. Because there, there are people who might feel a sting of pain hearing a story like that because they don't have that. Yeah. And I mean, again, this world is just really, I mean, there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, and, and, and it's really hard and, you know, people make decisions and it's like, and we don't always know what the, what the right decision is, you know? And, and we also, there's consequences of those decisions that we make, you know, and, 
And you hear a lot of people at the end of their lives be able to look back on those decisions and say, well, you know, I didn't do that so hot, you know? Yeah. But at the time you don't know any better, you know? And it's just really, it's like, how do you have that? You know, again, it's just one of those, uh, um, what is it? I think it was, Oh no, that was tomorrow. The tomorrow war. Did you, have you seen that yet? Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> I liked it. Did you like it? I did. I thought it was so bad. <laughs> I'm a sucker though. <laughs> but I mean, there is that cliche sort of like the dad was an ass, you know, and left mm-hmm. and leaves and then they, you know, reconcile at the end. You know, right. it's like, there's something with age that, you know, it's like you've lived with yourself long enough that you can't really, you can't really run from who you are. You yeah. Know? You, right. It's like. You can't fool yourself any longer. Yeah. I don't know. So that's just kind of like a, I just don't know how it happens outside that context. And I think it's a useful context to look at. Well, there's something you said about, you know, people do fucked up shit. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know the answer Yeah, and they, but, but, what was that quote from Frankel? I think we said last time about it's not as if there's a a meaning to life. Life asks you to answer that question. Life says, Mm. asks you, what is the meaning of your life? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to say, you have to make decisions Yeah, because life is asking you to make decisions and you make wrong ones. And, you know, perhaps this is why it's so important to have family because it gives you variables or for, or rather constants to inform decision-making, mm. you know, it, it puts some limitations and some constraints. Mm. So what is best? Well, what does best mean best for who, mm-hmm. you know, when you have kids, a wife, brothers, sisters, parents, you know, you, you, you can't say I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I'm faced with this decision. I need to figure out what's best. If you answer that, what's best for you, then in all likelihood, all those other people are going to suffer in some way Mm -hmm. and at the hands of your selfishness. And and I think we kind of all know that intuitively to be true. So you have to say, well, what's best for the family? Mm -hmm. How will this affect me? How will this affect my kids? How will this affect our relationships? Like I was thinking of a simple example of, Well, when I was in my early 20s, I always thought it would be really sort of cool and adventurous and romantic to move to New York City for Mm. a couple of years in my life. I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, greatest city in America, need to go experience it. Um, You know, and then we had kids and it's no longer like when you're 21 and you're single, Mm -hmm. going and moving to New York for two years the reason it's a great adventure is because it's so risky mm-hmm. and it's going to be so uncomfortable and you're so surely going to fail and need to run home to your parents. <laughs> right. Um, mm. but the risk is all on you. Yeah. You're the one who's uncomfortable. You're the one who's going to fail and mm-hmm. you have kids and that whole equation is different because it has these new variables, mm-hmm. you know, well, I might be okay with being uncomfortable, but am I going to make my kids uncomfortable? And, how's that going to affect them? And it's a whole different decision. And, and you have to just, if you're making a decision about whether or not to do it, you say, well, what's best. You have to decide what's best for those people, those other people mm-hmm. as well, somehow commingled with what's best for you. Yeah. 
you know, and the ways that that gets complicated are myriad, mm-hmm. you know, even a simpler decision, like, you know, we're living here in central Austin and, or I live in central Austin, you live in East Austin. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before, like, it'd be really cool if I could buy a house over near you. Mm-hmm. Um, be a lot easier than buying a house where I am now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Not that big of a deal, right? It's 10 minutes down the road, mm-hmm. but different school districts. Yeah. It would change my kids' lives completely. Mm-hmm. You know, this gets complicated very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, but so this idea of what's best, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to answer. And it's probably answerable in the context of a family but it gets much more difficult in the context of a community or the context of a sort of country from a political and policy perspective. Mm. Like what's best? Well, what is best even mm-hmm. and best for who? Yeah. And how would you know if you had accomplished it? Mm-hmm. I think when you have family, you used the word earlier orientation. Mm-hmm. You, your family orients you toward something. Well, what is that thing you're oriented toward? It's, it is the benefit of your, of all in your family. Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult for a larger system to be oriented mm. properly. Yeah. So that you can answer a question like what is best mm-hmm. and know whether or not you're moving toward it. Yeah. Like we were talking about this before the podcast you know, this, this huge monumental in my mind thing has happened over the last week, which is that we have had two private space companies send people into space. Mm-hmm. We have not had Americans sent into space by American spacecraft in like 40 years. Yeah. <clears throat> We've been outsourcing all of that to Russia mm-hmm. since the seventies, mm-hmm. maybe the eighties. When did the shuttle last fly? Yeah. Um, and this is so incredible to me, like via the sheer will and free market competition, we have like not one, but three different private space companies who are working on solving the problem of how do we reduce the cost of space travel such that we can afford it. Yeah. Like not a country can afford it. We, a company, mm-hmm. or even if you want to say a single billionaire or whatever can afford it and all the innovation that's had to happen to accomplish that. And it's happened in like 10 years. Yeah. Insane. Insane. And it's, and it's worked so well that in the last week, Ellen, uh, not Ellen yet, uh, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos both strapped themselves onto one of these rockets uh-huh. and went into space. <clears throat> it's fucking incredible. Well, I mean, again, I mean, that's the entrepreneurial spirit too. It's sort of like, I believe so much in this. I've put all this, you know, I've taken all this risk mm-hmm. Not only did I take all this risk, I'm going to strap myself to this thing and shoot myself into the air with it. You know, it's like, I mean, it's really quite, quite profound. Uh, just the, uh, just to put your, your mouth where your, your, your money is, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, and so <clears throat> I've been just shocked by people's responses to this and maybe I shouldn't be like, maybe I shouldn't be shocked by this, but you know, you have, so many people just absolutely furious, <laughs> like uh, morally furious. Yeah. You know, that two billionaires have gone to space. Mm-hmm. 
like it's not just that they went to space like yeah. other people rich enough to buy a ticket on a russian suez have gone to space yeah like maybe be mad at them mm-hmm. these guys started companies invented new technology like the booster that took jeff bezos up landed itself yeah back on the earth um you know, and people are just mad. And I think it's interesting because, you know, if like previously when America was involved in space travel, it was through NASA, Mm -hmm. which is a government funded institution. So it is as if the whole country said, you know, what is good for us to do? What is best for us to do? This is one of those things. We're going to put our money toward that. Mm -hmm. So we took our money, every single taxpayer's money and devoted it to sending a man to the moon. Mm -hmm. And at some point we said, you know what? That's not what's best for us anymore. We don't want to spend our money that way anymore. You know, and that's a real shame, I, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's a valid argument. Yeah. You know, if we decide, hey, that's not what's best, then okay, then that's not what's best. Mm-hmm. Because how do you decide what's best? Well, you vote on it, and it's this very complicated process of politicians and policy and all of this. And, you know, okay, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a heartbreak and a bummer, and, um, but that's what we decided. Mm-hmm. But what's amazing is that these three guys said, you know what? We don't have to decide if that's what's best. I'll just do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know? Uh, and I don't need any of your money. Mm-hmm. So they probably didn't we've get advanced. Some money from, from NASA, though, I think. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, and in, in they're actually working for NASA well, now. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. NASA can, doesn't have the capability to send anybody to space anymore. So they're mm-hmm. hiring SpaceX yeah. uh-huh. to send stuff to the space station. Yeah. Um, but so, so, like, so they have advanced. The, the technology of space travel and it hasn't cost the taxpayer basically anything. They just did it on their own. Yeah. And that's amazing. Like it's amazing that we live in a country where the country can decide this is what's best for us or this is not what's best for us. And then individuals within the company, the country have the autonomy to go out and build a company that provides tremendous value mm-hmm. for the world, be enriched by that, and then take that and do something incredible with it that is going to benefit all of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually. Yeah. Like, space is a fantastic resource. It's like the resources available in space are insane. Yeah. And we don't even know the limit to that because we can barely get there. Mm-hmm. But if they can open that up to us, yeah. Like, and it takes Jeff Bezos being a billionaire. Like, great. I'm glad that I live in a country that enables that. Yeah. You know, you don't see, you don't see individuals in other countries doing this kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, this is an example of American ex- exceptionalism, in my opinion. And, you know, maybe that's one of the things people are really upset about. Yeah. Like, they don't want to see American exceptionalism. They, they want to believe that America is really bad. Mm-hmm. But this is incredible. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it's it, it, there's also the, uh, the arguments of, like, where that money should go. And it's just, it's interesting when you're thinking in, there's immediate needs, and then there's me- needs that we will have into the future. You know, I think that's, I think that's really hard for people to see and understand. I mean, again, in a family unit, you see that, like, okay, hey, I need to start saving now for my kids' college, or to get them a car, or, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe even just to... Uh, you know, it's like uh, you, you see this more of a, a, especially in an immigrant situation where the mom and dad just work their asses off so that their kids can have a better and brighter future. You know, that's a, that's kind of a really cliche, um, 
example, you know, it's like, but I think that's the part too, too, is like envisioning the future. It's like, yes, there's problems here right now. Yes, they're valuable and we need to deal with them. Yeah. And so you could make a case. Yeah. There's problems here and now Mm -hmm. let's throw all of our resources Mm -hmm. at those problems here and now. But if you're not, but that would be really foolish. I mean, it would be like spending all of your money here and now, even, even if just on your kids and then all of a sudden they graduate high school and there's no resources left to Mm. seed them into college or a home or a car or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, we spent it all solving current problems. It's like, no, you have to think about future problems at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about the trade-offs to solving current problems because there are, Mm -hmm. um, the the point was made uh forget where who made this point some podcast i listened to but you know the the sort of the the proposal that like i think bernie sanders tweeted Mm. something like you know you've got billionaires taking vanity flights to space which is just such a pessimistic view but um fine if you want to see it that way um you can describe it that way and somewhat accurately fine Mm -hmm. Well, you know, meanwhile, there are real problems here and now. And the insinuation is, wouldn't it be great if Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson, rather than starting these space companies, gave that money to the country and injected it into what the country thinks is best? Mm -hmm. And then the idea is, you know, the punchline is we need to tax the rich more. Yeah. Right. Um, And then... The point was made that uh, Obama, I guess, was asked in like, I don't know what year, 2012 or something, like, would you still support raising taxes on the rich if it meant a reduction in net tax revenue for the country? Mm. And his answer is irrelevant. He said yes, that he would still support it. Um, And there's another point maybe to be made about that, but I never thought about it this way. Mm. Like... Taxing the rich more could reduce net revenue. And it's like, that's counterintuitive because how? And the reason that it could result in that is that, well, the rich don't get rich by making money and putting it into a bank. They get rich because they make money and they invest that into new forms of value, into new companies, into Mm -hmm. the stock market, in into all kinds of things that generate new value Mm -hmm. and that new value accrues. And that's how it's like, once you get rich, you get richer and richer because you you've learned that, Oh, you accumulate resources. You don't just hoard them. Mm -hmm. You, you allocate them. You allocate them to something useful Mm -hmm. and that's what they do with their money. I mean, just like Jeff Bezos is doing with his money is, you know, building blue origin. Um, Okay, so if you take that money, let's say, from Jeff Bezos, you say, well, you don't get to be worth what you're worth. We're taxing you. We're taking the money. We're, we're going to do with what we think should be done with it. Mm-hmm. Well, now he's not doing this stuff with the money. He's not generating new value, not generating new value, which could be taxed. And so there's a scenario in which you can take enough via tax on his income that prevents him from creating or generating otherwise new value that could be taxed Mm -hmm. and it could result in a reduction of net tax revenue. Mm -hmm. Um, So like this idea of back to the idea of what's best, it's not an easy question to answer. Mm -hmm. 
You know, do you, it's like, I understand why people are mad mm-hmm. that a, a, a Jeff Bezos exists, Yeah, you know, but what's the alternative? Like, have you ever really considered what the alternative is? Maybe, maybe you should. Yeah, you know, it's like, what if we don't have people out there pushing things beyond the limit or taking risks that, you know, that might not work. You know, that's the whole thing is like any of these three companies that have done this could completely fail, you know, mm-hmm. and they're taking that risk and they also get the reward from that risk too. It's like any small business owners the same way. Well, but the point I'm trying to make is like, yes, they're taking a risk and yes, they're getting a reward, but they're also in the, at the same time generating value that there, so many other people are benefiting from. Yeah. I mean, how many people does Blue Origin employ? Mm-hmm. Scientists, mathematicians, engineers. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's one small piece of something. Like all these people are employed. That's, that's good, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then where did the money come from to start that company? Well, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Amazon has provided incredible value for every single individual in this country. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I get it. You're mad that he's worth a hundred billion, mm-hmm. but like imagine, well, two points, imagine life without Amazon. One, <laughs> no second point. You can't cause you don't even understand what Amazon does. Yeah. You don't understand all of the innovative services that you love that could not exist without Amazon. Mm-hmm. Netflix. We wouldn't have it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Amazon transformed uh, cloud hosting as we know it. Almost every, almost every big website scaled to um, a huge level relies on the services that Amazon invented in order to create what we know as Amazon. Hmm. It's like the value created isn't just the fact that you can get a package delivered in two hours, yeah. even though that's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like everything they had to invent to get there. It's kind of like NASA. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about, oh, NASA put a man on the moon. Great. But then you really study it and all the things that you love in your life that have changed your life. Mm-hmm. So many of them came out of trying to get a man to the moon. Mm-hmm. You try to do something really hard and you accidentally invent something like Velcro, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that then goes out and changes the world. Yeah. Um, you know, so... <laughs> There's, there's plenty of reasons to be mad about inequity and what's unfair, you know, but also maybe take a second to imagine the alternative or even what if it's, what if it's equivalent to, uh, airplane flight? You know, it's like, I can't believe this rich person took a flight to Paris, you know, back in the day when it was like unheard of, you know, uh, it's like, but, but through all that innovation today, it's like almost anybody can get a flight anywhere in the world for a fairly reasonable price. You know, it's like, but it took time for that to happen because innovation and and all that kind of stuff, but everything's so much more exponential. Now it's becoming like a flat screen TV that was, you know, back in the day, like exorbitant $30,000. You can literally pick one up off the side of the road. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. You know, people Uh just put them out there. Uh It's like, yeah, somebody will take it or the go in the garbage, you know, Mm -hmm. actually it reminds me of like a really profound, It's a very sarcastic tweet that I saw, kind of making fun of people who are upset about Jeff Bezos going to space. <clears throat> and it was a picture of Orville and Wilbur Wright with their, you know, first plane uh-huh. trying to fly it. 
And his comment was something like the audacity of these guys trying to do something like this when they could have been making bikes for the people, mm-hmm. you know, because they were, they made bicycles, mm-hmm. you know, and then they went and spent all this effort and money trying to do something which at that time was thought to be impossible. Mm-hmm. And along the way invented shit like a, the wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. They came up with that, yeah. you know, <clears throat> And we think things are impossible or not valuable. Like I think in 1910, like they flew in 1911, I think, mm-hmm. you know, back then it was like flight's impossible. And why would that even be valuable? Yeah. Why would you even want to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, but here we are <laughs> and obviously it's valuable, Yeah. you know, but it took someone with not only the gumption and, you know, for lack of a better term, balls, mm-hmm. but also the resources to go allocate to something crazy that if you went and said, you know, to some community government or local or state government and said, we're going to allocate our resources to this, they'd be like, no, we should probably allocate our resources to the problems we have here and now. Um, but they go, no, we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. And they succeeded. And here we are. And, you know, international flights are, you could book one and leave in two hours. Yeah. Yeah, you can get anywhere in the world within you know, like maybe 15 hours or something like that. You know, and that is actually a use case of um, privatized space travel. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just going to space to, like, hang out and be weightless. Like, if you can figure out how to bring the cost of space travel down, you can get anywhere on the planet in, like, an hour. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's much easier to travel where there's no air. <laughs> so you blast off and go halfway around the globe and then land again. I'm like... Hmm. Yeah, the way innovation happens, it's it's never by um, sort of group consensus. Oh no, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, you have to have like a somebody with a vision, and that vision is is somewhat unattainable. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's like because those are the only fun ones to really have. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, and, and again, yeah, it's like, you know, consensus. It's like you spend so much time trying to get, you know, everybody on board that it never happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, you see that, I mean, that's kind of the beautiful thing about government is that it moves so slow because, you know, um, you kind of don't want it to move fast. Uh, you know, I think like a totalitarian government, it's like, that's kind of the beautiful thing about a totalitarian government is like, you're able to make decisions quickly and change things fast, you know, but also the, the, the downside of that is like bad shit happens really quickly because, you know, one person's in charge, you know, it's like, so you kind of want governments that are a little bit clunky so that, you know, we have some stability and, and change happens slowly. You know? Right. Well, back to the previous <clears throat> point, it's like, well, what's best? It's really hard to answer that. Mm-hmm. So you don't want <clears throat> you don't want a government that decides that really quickly. Yeah, because it's gonna be wrong. <laughs> totally. You know, and at that scale, the consequences of it being wrong are large. And that's what's so <clears throat> great about the free market and sort of capitalism. In that sense, is like you have people going out there and trying things and failing mm-hmm. and trying things and failing. And it doesn't affect everyone. It doesn't affect. You can anyone. outsource that risk. You exactly. can say, you know what, Bezos, you want to shoot yourself into space on a penis shaped rocket, <laughs> like your Austin powers or something like, uh, yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just let us 
go to work and do what we need to do. And, yeah. Um, it's localized to maybe <clears throat> 300 or a thousand. I don't know how people work for uh, yeah, right. Blue Origin, but it's like, it's a, it's a localized risk that, you know, it's not going to affect the entire country. Yeah. You know? Which is, I think, which is a very valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, there's a risk associated with everything, and I think that's, I think that's something, and also just, that's what entrepreneurs I think do for us as a, uh, as a people is they go out and try things and fail and try things and fail, right. and that's such a valuable thing that once something starts to like really click, you know then it gets picked up by everybody else, you know, they, yeah. uh, and it becomes almost common among, uh, everybody as far as what was actually uncommon at the, you know, it's again, flights, one of those things, like how many, you know, how many airlines do we have now? You know, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's insane. How many, how many planes are in the air at one time? That would be right. a fun thing to, to, to figure out. <laughs> It is kind of fascinating to me that it's really popular to hate on Jeff Bezos. It's not quite as popular to hate on Elon Musk. And it's not popular at all. Unless you're a Bitcoin community. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not popular at all to hate on Bill Gates. I mean, he's also mega billionaire. Yeah. You know, so what is that? That's interesting, especially with Bezos. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, he's like this kind of like Lex Luthor figure. Yeah. He's bald. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no one really knows much about him. Uh-uh. Like, I watched the press conference of him, you know, before he blasted himself off. And I was like, I don't think I've ever heard him talk before. Yeah. He's wearing a cowboy hat. It's real weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, it was like a dirty cowboy hat. And I was like, did you, did you like go to a Stetson store and make them like burn it with a torch? Like, <laughs> like you're a hipster or something. <laughs> <clears throat> That's funny. <clears throat> well, at, at the same time, it's like you, I think if you get to those places, you have to also accept that part of it too. It's like, you're also the, the kicking post or the, you know, uh, well, that's, what's interesting about Elon is mm-hmm. like a year ago, he sold everything he had. He lives in like a tiny home mm-hmm. that he rents. Hmm. He, I don't think he owns a car. I don't think he owns anything technically. Yeah, that's interesting. Because he was like, I don't need to give anybody ammo hmm. to like hate on me for owning a, mi- a mansion or whatever. It's yeah. like, I don't need it. I just want to work. But, but again, he gets hated on it anyways, though. It's like, yeah, but less. And I don't think it's for that reason. Mm-mm. I mean, I don't know exactly what the reason is. But it's like if you look at the spectrum between Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk is clearly in the center somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see a lot of people hating on Bill Gates. You know, you see um, the, the community that hates on him it would be easily labeled the conspiracy theory community, uh-huh, you know, totally. but the, the, <clears throat> the popular culture doesn't hate on him. Well, I wonder if that's because he also pledged to give like all of his money away or, or tons of it anyways. Well, that's interesting. And I think that is a part of it is because, you know, people say, well, he's a, a billionaire, but he's a philanthropist, you know, whereas Jeff Bezos I think is much less public with what he does with his money mm-hmm. for one thing. So yeah. I don't know, you know, how he compares to Bill Gates in terms of philanthropy, mm-hmm. but at least on the public face, you know, he's trying, he's working on space travel where Bill Gates is working on, let's say healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> <Vaccines> <laughs> uh-huh. and, right. Yeah. Um, so it's easy, I guess, to be like, well, 
we like the way Bill Gates seems to be spending his money, mm-hmm. and we don't like the way Jeff Bezos seems to be spending his money. Yeah. And that sounds, if it is reducible to that, that's a pretty shallow way to judge because, to the earlier point, it, it isn't philanthropy that is necessarily the proper allocation of resources. Mm-hmm. You know, if you follow if you follow where the value goes and the new value generated and offset new value generated with maybe money reallocated into charities or whatever, again, it's this idea, well, what is best? It's not easy to determine mm-hmm. who, which of those paths is helping more people, yeah. which of those paths, if you decide that helping more people is indeed what's best, you know, maybe it's not <clears throat> necessarily helping more people. Maybe it is, because, because what does that even mean? Helping more people here and now mm-hmm. or helping more people over the next hundred years? Yeah. Because y- you could say, well, I want to help the most people over the next hundred years. And the way to do that might mean that I have to help less people now. Totally. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So how do you determine that? Mm-hmm. And, well, I don't know how you determine that. But it seems to me like, well, here's a good A-B scenario. We've got Bill Gates. We've got Jeff Bezos. They're doing seemingly different things. Mm-hmm. Let's let this play out. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, it seems to make sense to me. It's almost like two different. It's it, to not. If you can see them as two different things, like I think it's really important to have people that are focused on the problems of the here and now. You know, mm-hmm. and like, and solving those. But those aren't our only problems, and mm-hmm. I think that's where the the we false have, equivalency yeah. is is coming in. Is that totally? It's like we have different sets of problems, and we need different people working on those sets of problems. And right. it always happens, though. It's like whatever wherever you're sitting within that scenario, you're going to judge it by that. You right. Know? right. And you know, it's like again, it's like you know, over my lifetime of being in business, it's like my perspective continues to change over year over year just because I'm in a different place every year. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is what, this is how this looks. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, you see this a lot, like from when someone who's in, uh, you know, comes in as a barista, then moves up to a manager. It's like, they're still looking at it from a, from a, a barista point of view when they actually have different responsibilities as a manager. And mm-hmm. then from a manager to a director and then from a director to a, you know, CEO or whatever it might be, you know, it's like, they're different sets of problems yeah. and you can't, it's hard to see what those different sets of problems until you're in the position and responsible for those problems. Um, you know, again, even going from one, one shop to two shops, to three shops, to five shops, it's like each poses different challenges. And it's like, you can't, you can't understand those challenges until you're in the position and, and have the responsibility to take care of that. It's like, what's good for one store might not be good for the whole company, you know, uh, you know, but it's, and so you have to be able to weigh and measure what, what is best and how to move forward into the future. Mm-hmm. I can do like, like right now I could pay everybody $50 an hour, but they don't have a job for six months. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, right. and then we'd be out of money be and out of business <laughs> and no one has a job and nobody has a yeah. job. Yeah. But that's that's those, a great example. So like we could solve a particular set of problems. Got a little friend there. Where? <laughs> oh, on my uh, pop filter here. Uh-huh. What is that? Will it sting me? No, it's not a spider. It's just a bug. It's just, <laughs> just a bug. Just a bug. Just a bug. He did. Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, I was like, we could solve a particular set of problems mm-hmm. right now by using your example. Like you're going to pay every employee $50 an hour. Great. That improves everyone's lives, right? Yeah. Solves problems, right? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. But it also introduces a new set of problems, which is that we're solving your problem now, but you've got a new problem, which is that you're not going to have a job in six months. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I think everybody's proper reaction to that would be like, what, I think it'd be better to have a job in six months that I can rely on mm-hmm. than to solve the particular set of problems I have right now in this way, if it yeah. costs me that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, I'd be willing to go through some more hardship now in order to have a long-term job or position, you know? <laughs> That's exactly the concept of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We have to give something up now in order that the future is better than it would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. This is, well, it's baked into the human experience. Totally, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. It's that way, not with just problems. Well, I want to say not just with problem solving, but I kind of think everything is problem solving. <laughs> totally, yeah. You know, but it's that way in your relationships. It's that way with your children. It's mm-hmm. that way with your job. It's that way with money. It's that way with creative endeavor. Um, yeah, you have to sacrifice something today for a better future. There's, there's just no way around it. You right. can't just, it can't be necessarily all, you can't get everything today and everything tomorrow. Yeah. So, so back to, uh, Bernie Sanders tweet, you know, basically what he insinuates is wouldn't it be better if we reallocated Jeff Bezos's funds to solving problems here and now. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the natural reaction to people is like, yeah, isn't that really unfair that they're suffering now? that could be ameliorated by this money mm-hmm. and it's being used to send a penis to space. <laughs> and that makes sense. Yeah. But back to the proposition, wouldn't it be better? Well, would it? I don't know. I think it's highly likely that it wouldn't. Yeah. You know, you're going to pay a price and maybe you don't know what, I mean, maybe at the level of a country, you know, it's easy to say what the price of paying all your employees $50 an hour is at the level of your company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, in six months we're out of business. Mm-hmm. No one has jobs. It's not easy at the level of a country to say what the consequence of that would be. Because well, we're going to find out with it. <laughs> we're just kind of like giving away like trillions of dollars. You know, it's like. Right. With all the stimulus. With all the stimulus. Yeah. And, and inflated inflation. the currency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're going to find out. There will be consequences and we'll find out what they are. And. Um, but yeah, I think maybe it's like anytime somebody sort of says or insinuates, wouldn't it be better if we did it this way? It's probably worth like saying it's, and especially when your response is, yeah, wouldn't that be better mm-hmm. to maybe stop and take that as a bit of a red flag and say, wait, but would it really? Well, it's also what the cost is, because if you're, if you're benefiting from something in the present, it's coming at a cost to something in the future. In the future. I mean, there's, there's just no way of getting around that. You know, it's like, like, uh, you might look at education that way. It's like, I'm benefiting from getting an education right now, but it's at the cost of me having to pay this back, right. you know, in the years to come, is that worth the, uh, the sacrifice that I'm gonna have to make later for for benefiting right now? Yeah. And will I be able to pay that back? Like, is, does, is there value there in what I'm receiving in order to pay this back. Later. Well, and culture has decided definitively no. Mm-hmm. There, the, the benefit was not worth the cost. Yeah. 
I mean, that's why you have people running on political platforms to forgive student debt. Like we've decided as a culture that wasn't worth the cost. But what's even crazier is like then we're wanting to spend more money in that area where we've already decided that it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. Right. So it, it seems like the, the, the obvious conclusion is that if it wasn't worth the cost, then forgiving student debt isn't the solution mm-hmm. because that's actually paying the cost. Yeah. And what is the future cost of that particular benefit of forgiving student debt going to be? Mm-hmm. It's like we're making the same mistake again, not looking at the, we're not looking at the future cost and we're not looking at the alternative, which would be current sacrifice mm-hmm. for future benefit. Yeah. Which is, it's almost like that has to be a part of your worldview, your perspective. You know, it's like, what am I going to sacrifice today for a better tomorrow? It seems like that is, that's always the question. And even though you might be benefiting from your, from your past sacrifices, I don't think that scenario ever changes. And in fact, if it does changes, then something's wrong, I would believe. Flesh that out. What do you mean? If, if, if it changes, something's wrong. Yeah. So basically like almost all throughout your entire life, you should be making sacrifices for the future. However, as you build on those sacrifices that you've made for the future, you will also be benefiting from those sacrifices as you move into the future. So like, so for example, like, uh, today I'm not going to, uh, buy a $40 bottle of bullet, <laughs> you know, even though you did, <laughs> even though I did, uh, you know, it's like, I'm going to take that money. I want to put it somewhere. So I'm going to forego having, uh, some bullet rye. Mm-hmm. We're not sponsored by them. Just so you know, uh, if you want to, that's sadly, cool. <laughs> sadly. uh, you know, it's like, so I take that money, I put it into something else that will in three to five years from now, give me $300. So I just made that $400 into $300. So 40 into 300. Yeah. Yeah. 40 into 300 just arbitrarily, you know, anyways. So, but in three years from now, I'll have $300. So maybe I buy a bottle of bullet rye, but then I have $260 to, or $340, to, <laughs> to then invest in something else that I'm sacrificing the benefits that I could, that I could then take from that full, uh, sacrifice I made three years ago. So that's the thing is like, you should always be sacrificing something for the future so that you're also at the same time gaining whatever it is that, that you get some. Yeah. But you said something, it's, you're doing it wrong or there's something wrong. If you are simply living off the accrued benefits of past sacrifices, I think is something like what you said. Yeah. Because I think there's a, there's more of a mindset. Because at that point, if you're simply living off the benefits of past sacrifices, then you are then now sacrificing the future for current benefit. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have to perpetually hold the future as more important than the present. Exactly. And I think that's, again, circling back to family. I think that's what family helps you do. Oh, it's like, so interesting. It's like you're, you're, cause like, as you come to the end of your life, it's like, you know, that you have 10, 20, 30 years left. Yeah. Because the argument against that point would be, well, but don't you want to live in the present? Mm-hmm. Like, shouldn't you live in the present mm-hmm. and enjoy your life to its fullest? Yeah. And it's like, yes, you should. But what is your life? Is it just you? Or does it extend past you into your children? Mm-hmm. And then at that point, the question of, is the future more important than the present is easily answered. Mm-hmm. The future is definitely more important because my kids live there and I don't. Yeah. And my kids are more important than me. Mm-hmm. 
and I have a, I have an ability to impact how like my children's children, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and not only that, it's like, if you also embed that, uh, wisdom into your children and they live that way, it's like, and then you cross that across multiple families and multiple mm-hmm. cities and mm-hmm. multiple states. It's like, it's like, that's a beautiful thing. When you start having people thinking about what sacrifices am I going to make today for a better future? And, you know, in the stock market cost, it, it's called, uh, you know, you take a little bit off the top, which is like, you know, you're uh, was it? Oh, I should not have read the, the term, but, uh, you know, your stock goes up and you take a little bit of profit. Mm-hmm. There's a word profit for taking profit. taking. <laughs> There's a word. for it. I think that's the word. <laughs> that's the word. You know, it's like, and that's fine. And that's good. It's like, you know, you know, because you, 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 you made those sacrifices, you know, to do that. <clears throat> yeah. You, you should always, well, you should take profit. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what, what's the point? Yeah. You can't sacrifice. That's the thing is you can't sacrifice. If you sacrifice everything for the future, then you won't have anything with which to sacrifice tomorrow. <laughs> totally. Right. Mm-hmm. So there has to be a balance. You've got to take profit to create security. You've got to take profit to <laughs> create well-being and health mm-hmm. and, and, and to create new value, which can then propagate into new sacrifice and, and new value generation in the future. Which I think is harder for people to think of when you start thinking on grander scales and larger amounts of money. You know, it's like, again, you come back to the Bezos, um, uh, Gates and Elon, you know, it's like, they're dealing on a scale that is as way beyond our understanding. But if you take out the, you know, if you take out the, the perception of what that, like the billions and billions and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, it's really just look at the principles, look at the principle. It, it principle applies to us as well as the million billion years. You know, it's like, uh, <clears throat> it's like taking, you have a certain amount of resources and it's like, we have to ask ourselves, what we are going to sacrifice instead of calling other people to sacrifice those, because I think it's, it's a character thing and it's not a, um, Mm. it's not a principle that you can put on other people. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's embedded in the call to like, you know, let's just take Jeff Bezos's money Mm -hmm. to solve our own problems. Yeah. That's foregoing the principle of sacrifice, Mm -hmm. which means that that plan is short lived. Yeah. Because you're actually not thinking about the future. And you're not, you're not having any more people with that mindset of like, what am I going to sacrifice today for tomorrow? And that's right. really an entrepreneurial. That's the only way that you sustain improvement. Exactly. I mean, it's always blown my mind a bit. Like when people say, it's an interesting exercise to like, take a look at somebody like Bezos. And, and I, there was this comedian I was listening to who did a, a bit about how he found 20 bucks in like an old jacket. Mm-hmm. And it was a really good bit because um, he was talking about how life changing was. He goes, he goes, it changed my plans for the day. <laughs> he's like, not in a big way. And he goes on. He's like, I still went to Chipotle, but I got the guac. <laughs> yeah, and there's a whole bit about that. That's really hilarious. But he, he then went on. He's like, I decided to, I was thinking about, I think he used Bill Gates as the example. I was thinking about Bill Gates and it's like, I was trying to figure out for him to have this experience this life changing or day changing experience of finding a 20 in your pocket. (laughs) Like what would he have to find in his pocket? Mm -hmm. And he did the math and he's like, if, if like the average American makes, let's say a hundred thousand a year Mm -hmm. and they find a 20 in their pocket, 
Bill Gates would have to find $12 million <laughs> in his pocket. I love it. You know, it's like, so that's an, it's an interesting thing to do to like, to take these concepts of like how much money a uh, Bill Gates has and then be like, well, what could we do with all that money? Mm-hmm. You know, but I think where it becomes perverse <clears throat> is, you know, I see people make this argument, which again, on its face is like a really compelling argument. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, Bezos could take half his net worth and end homelessness. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, why doesn't he do that? He'd still be worth 50 billion. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And on its face, that's very compelling. Yeah. But exactly what we're talking about is the problem. It would not, it would, it would perhaps end homelessness for like what a day, mm-hmm. a week. Let's just say a year. Let's say a year. Okay. Shit of it. Yeah. Right. In homelessness for a year. Mm-hmm. Then what? Mm-hmm. You know, this is not, you're not truly solving a problem. You're, you're putting a bandaid on a problem. And I think that's why well the rich I think understand wealth accumulation obviously. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think they must understand concepts of sacrifice. I mean even Elon Musk selling everything he owns. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a sacrifice. What good is it to be a billionaire playboy that doesn't own anything? Yeah. Well, even that question like betrays my own ignorance because mm-hmm. I'm thinking that money is worth it in order to have all the stuff, mm-hmm. the Lambo and the, you know, infinity pool and the, you know, <laughs> grotto or the smoking jacket and like a stupid Hugh Hefner or something. <laughs> it's like, no that's not what makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. And you don't solve problems. You don't solve problems by saying, Hey, you don't have to worry about the future anymore. That's, that's a, well, it's a lie. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. Just plain out lie. Right. And the consequence of believing that lie it's mm-hmm. like if we were to test that, okay, let's end homelessness. If, if, if Bill, uh, Jeff Bezos was like, okay, you really like, here's 50 billion mm-hmm. end homelessness, the rate at which that would fall apart into catastrophe. My prediction would be that the rate at which that would fall into catastrophe would be so fast yeah. that it would spin your head around. Mm-hmm. And actually I think that's what's happened in places like the Soviet Union and Mao's China. Mm-hmm. You try to reallocate funds that way. You're, you were solving precisely the wrong, for the wrong problem and creating a catastrophic problem in the future. Well, it's also the lottery problem that we've talked many times right. on this, on the podcast. You know, it's, it's, it's really money is a thing and it's like resources. It's there. There's, truly valuable and like you know it's like and we do need to allocate some resources and and stuff to people to help them you know it's like so outside of that fundamental aspect it's like but there's also a a part that what we really need is you have to build the character and understanding of of that sacrifice for sacrifice today for tomorrow you know it's like 
if you could have everything you, you, you need today, would you sacrifice tomorrow over that? Mm-hmm. And if your answer is... that is the question. Yeah. If you could have everything you need today, but not what you need tomorrow, mm-hmm. or not everything you need today and everything you need tomorrow, mm-hmm. which would you take? Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on how long you expect to live. True. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But if I expect to be alive until tomorrow mm-hmm. and I don't have everything I need today, but I'll make it mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's go with that tomorrow. Yeah. And especially if you're going to play that game over and over and over and over, mm-hmm. that's how things get better. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's the hard thing for us to, to see that is, is like, is like, what is the incremental change? Like, even if like, let's say I can give you one meal a day today or today, a meal today and every other day for the next week or two. But by you going to these classes or whatever it might be, you'll be able to have two or three meals a day, two or three years from now. You know, so it's like you're, you're, you're or you can, or I can right now give you, I can just give you a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's like, it's like there, there has to be, it's like, it's the cliche Mm -hmm. you can catch a fish or teach a man to Mm -hmm. fish, you know, it's totally the same. That's interesting. Somebody said, maybe it was Vervecki. What's his first name? John Mm Vervecki. I think so. Yeah. I think he made this point. Like some things are so obvious that they're cliche. Yeah. But it makes so much sense. I mean, we have kids, we understand that idea of like, you know, our kids want things today that are not going to help them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, but how can we we all know that archetype too? Mm -hmm. It's it's like, we all knew those kids in junior high, especially (laughs) Uh kids that got exactly what they wanted. Mm -hmm. No one liked them. (laughs) And it wasn't because they had the things that you wanted. Uh It was because they were bullshit people. Uh What's it right now? It's like, uh, Austin just got a, another lawn to mow, you know? And it's like, you know, there's something just so exciting for me to see him discover, even though he's kicking and screaming a little bit on this, you know, it's like not really kicking and screaming, but like, it's like, I'm doing this thing and I'm getting money for it. And then I get to spend it however I want. Yes. So I can allocate this can money allocate how I want to, how I want to. But the sacrifice is, is like I've got to on go. a Saturday. Yeah. I got to give go. up my Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it's interesting. And I, again, he's at the beginning oh, st- so good. stage of this, but it's like, and it's really hard for somebody to learn that, you know, it's like, I mean, I've had to do that so much over business. Like, you know, there's so many things that, lessons I've had to learn that were so painful yet they're so valuable to me. And it changed my perspective on how I view, you know, money and work and, um, community. And, and, you know, it's like, cause it's like, I, I continually have to be challenged with what is, what's good today might not be good for tomorrow. And then what's good for the company over the longest period of time. Mm-hmm you know, and for the greater amount of people. And some people that come work for me won't actually benefit from some of those things, Hmm. but the people down the road will benefit from those. Right. So it's like, what's better to benefit one person now Mm -hmm. or 500 people over the course of 20 years? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. It's just, it's a scale thing. It's just really, yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. That's what's so exciting about getting a lawn to mow and giving up your Saturday. Mm-hmm. You're giving up your Saturday, but in your mind, you're thinking, 
but tomorrow mm-hmm. or next week or whenever, I will have resources <laughs> that I can decide how to allocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't have to ask us. He's, right. like, he's, he's getting the VR games and stuff yeah. like that. He's like, oh, man. So, yeah, Dad, you owe me $30 and Charlie owes me 10 So it's like, oh, and then also that other one. So it's $50. So right. I get these two games. Yeah. You know, it like, well, and then like yeah. scale that up into adulthood and into like mm-hmm. a business, for example, mm-hmm. it's like you start a business that's working and you get to decide. So back to the question, is it better to benefit one person now or 500 people over 20 years? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure that the answer to that is obvious, but by engaging it, you get to decide how mm-hmm. to allocate those funds and and decide whether or not you want to benefit one now or 500 over 20 years. And then you run that experiment and you might be wrong, you know, or you might be right. Totally. And either way, you're going to leave a legacy Mm -hmm. that's going to inform other people, other businesses, other children, lawnmowers Mm -hmm. to be like, you know, I saw, I know this legacy, you know, and maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. And maybe your legacy is like, you know, at the sacrifice of some short-term benefit, he affected the lives of 500 people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a eulogy, it's something you'd hear in a eulogy. Yeah. You know, and so we figure out what's best and what's right through trial and error and mm-hmm. through autonomy in the allocation of resources mm-hmm. that, that you earn through sacrificing something in the present to make the future better. Totally. It's fucking beautiful. It really is. But it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to teach. I think it's really hard to teach that. It's hard to teach that, and it's so easy to attack it on a moral basis based mm-hmm. upon, well, based upon, I think, false formulations of, um, of like, uh, uh, insinuating that not benefiting the one person now mm-hmm. is, like, severely damaging them and taking mm-hmm. from them and stealing from them to do something else. And you frame that problem that way. Yeah. And it makes it seem morally reprehensible mm-hmm. that you might, you know, choose this other thing. Totally. And I think there's a lot of that going on, you know, especially when you scale that up to figures that we don't even comprehend, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a hundred billion dollars. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, we can't play at that yeah. scale. How about we just dissolve you and continue playing at our own scale? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even if you start looking at governments too, that, that are looking for the short term benefits, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I think that's why the, the United States is, is up to this point is hopefully continues that we ha- we do value the entrepreneur, you know, and the sort of like, you know, even with the, with the messiness and the, and the, the, the negative things that kind of come with it, you know, it's like, I think that's something that makes the U S something pretty amazing is that we do value that sort of innovative spirit that will go out there and take the risk, you know, and, and well, we have traditionally, we have traditionally, I think, I think that's under attack right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to stand up for it. Yeah. Well, it just makes so much sense. It's like, but that's, that's the thing is I feel like parents should know that because they see it directly represented in your kids. If you give your kid everything, it, everything they need, at every single point along the way, it's sort of like government can be like a parent who's like, I deserve a house, mom and dad. You're like, okay. You know, it's like, there's no, there's no value they have with your parents always giving you things. Mm -hmm. It's like at some point, a good parent has to say, Hey, 
okay, you want a house. Let's figure out how to make that happen. Do you want to go to college? Well, we know that principle. Like yeah. we, we attacked Trump on it, you know, like uh-huh. he was a nothing. He didn't uh-huh. even make himself. It was given to him by his dad. Yeah. Like we know we, we, we reject that. But we want to turn our government into Trump's dad. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> basically what we're talking about. So the Democrats are like actually proposing what happened to Trump and Trump is, uh, <laughs> yeah, is the uh, epitome of, of that. That's funny. That's a really funny I've never made that correlation, but that sounds yeah, really that is. accurate. Well, I think we did it. I think we had to leave it right there at oh, Trump's wow. dad. <laughs> wow, he came into it, huh? <laughs> you know it's over whenever you bring Trump into it. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, fantastic. Love you. We went there. So good.